episode 54 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Hey, so I am Michael Minero. Uh, my Instagram, as many of you know, is M.A. Minero. And I am a corporate pilot, uh, charter and part 91 out of the San Francisco Bay Area, Hayward Airport. What is going on, Aviation Nation? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin and I am your host. Today, I am talking with Michael Minero. Now, if you haven't been on my Instagram or my Twitter, you haven't seen the promos that I've been doing and you don't know that Michael is 22 years old, has 3,200 hours, just got hired by a 121 carrier, not a regional, a pretty big 121 carrier. And like I said, he's only 22 years old. Now, before I talked with Michael, I thought that I was on top of my game and I thought that I was doing well for my age. I'm 29. I'm on a pretty good sized company, a pretty big company with a good career track and a great company to work for. But Michael just blows me out of the water. This kid has done so much to position himself to where he is today. And it is hard work. It is determination. I mean, later in this episode, we find out ways that he was able to skip school, got his parents and his teacher's approval to skip school so he can go fly and get his hours. He used to go to Young Eagles and he would go to multiple Young Eagles so he could get flights every single month, multiple flights a month, where not everyone thinks outside the box like that. So some of the things we're going to learn about in this episode with Michael are why Michael got into aviation, how Michael had to put a presentation together for his parents on why he should get flight simulator. We talk about how Michael had to really talk his mom into letting him fly, how his mom ended up being his first passenger, how and why Michael owns a partnership and a 152. We talk about how he is current in over a dozen airplanes at the age of 22. Michael talks about the connections he has made and how it has helped him in his career. Michael goes on to talk about a double standard in aviation for the younger generation and much, much more. Aviation, I do not want you to miss this episode. Please help me by sharing this episode with everyone and everyone you can possibly think of. I want this episode to be in every flight student, every professional pilot. I want them all to hear this. That is just such a great episode for everyone to listen to. And if you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash pilot pilot, where you can get keychains, you can get stickers, and you can also get t-shirts. Go ahead and check out our Instagram page at pilot the pilot. Our website, pilotthepilothq.com. And Aviation, without further ado, Michael Minero. Hey, Michael, thanks for coming on the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Thanks for having me, Justin. No problem. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to have you on. Um, you have accomplished a lot in your career and you are very, very young, which I don't know if you get tired of hearing that or not, but you have a pretty crazy story. And I think that you'll be able to, to really inspire some aviators that are up and coming. Well, thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. No problem, man. So let's go ahead and get started and jump right in. Why did you want to become a pilot? What was the the main reason for it? So it was kind of, it was interesting for my family. Uh, we never traveled by airplane. Um, ironically, my mom actually wasn't a huge fan of flying and we we're busy at home with different projects. And so I, I was never actually in an airplane until I was 11 or 12 years old airlining. Uh, my family did a Disneyland trip, but prior to that, uh, I had just kind of randomly picked up an interest. Uh, when I was really young, actually, I was crazy into trains. And okay. I, mean, I was like crazy into trains. <laughs> and so. Did you have a basement dedicated to your train? I didn't have a basement, but I did have a layout. Um, <laughs> and, uh, of which I still actually have some. And it was just, it was something that I just randomly was into at the time. We'd go travel up to the California State Railroad Museum in Sacramento, all sorts of stuff like that. And so 
I then kind of shifted from that focus to aviation. I, I've always been into mechanical things, tractors, cars, boats, anything. And so I shifted into an aviation focus when I was in kind of elementary school. I remember uh, being outside and watching airplanes fly over and just thinking it was cool. And then I, I ended up just being a kid who wasn't really on games. I wasn't on an Xbox or a PlayStation all the time. And I ended up just like surfing the internet a lot. And so I, I ended up getting buried in Wikipedia articles and everything and just picked up an interest that way to where I eventually was like, hey, maybe I could get a flight simulator or something. So I ended up actually putting together a whole presentation to my parents of why <laughs> I felt it was important to spend or invest a little bit of money in Microsoft Flight Simulator and some add-ons and the controls. And uh, they agreed and said, hey, that it looks like you're interested. You've put some time into this. Why not? And what kind of setup did you have? I just had a uh, just basic FSX, uh, not really any add-ons at the time, and a stick and rudder pedals. Okay. And of which actually the original rudder pedal set is sitting under my desk right now, and the original <laughs> stick is sitting on the shelf next to my desk. That's hilarious. And so uh, I ended up picking up an interest. It was you know the typical kid just playing around and not really knowing anything. Well, eventually. I managed to connect through some people on uh, on the internet, just like we have. Ironically, yeah, gotta and, love the internet. Exactly. And I always joke; it's funny how you know, twenty years ago, parents are always saying, "Oh, don't meet pe- people off the internet." And now, the majority of people I've met have been <laughs> off the internet. It's the only way to meet people now. <laughs> yeah, and well, aviation so small as it is that Instagram and Facebook and all these different social media platforms just really make us a tight community, which is just yeah, amazing. For sure, and. So, yeah, so I'd met a few people that slowly started teaching me, like, oh, you know, this is how we do it real world, and whether it's instrument flying or basic VFR flying. And then the uh, the local airport that I learned to fly out of San Carlos Airport, there's an aviation museum, the Hiller Aviation Museum. And I had gone there since I was little, just every, you know, maybe once a year or so, and they had a brochure there that my mom actually found for Young Eagles. And at the time, I was 12 years old. This was 2010. And I love to point out, like I did earlier, that my mom was not a huge fan of flying. She had a bad experience when she was young. She got scared in a Piper Cub. And so she had this kind of, it was a jaded view of general aviation because she had been scared and was thinking, why, why am I going to let my precious son go up in a small airplane with some guy that I don't know and go fly around? Seems logical. So, (laughs) which from a parent's perspective, I understand. And I think basically what happened was I bugged her so much to go. Just, mom, can I go? Mom, can I go? Mom, can I go? And finally she relented and said, fine, dad can take you. (laughs) Just stop asking. You can go once. Well, anyone who's familiar with young, Young Eagles knows they give you little logbooks of, you know, I think it's 10 lines or so, two pages. You know, it's like, hey, here's a little, you know, souvenir. I ended up going through like three or four of those (laughs) of just coming back. And as I started coming back on the Young Eagles days once a month, they started seeing, hey, I'm one of the few kids who actually is really interested in this. And so some of the guys and 
girls who are flying started inviting me elsewhere. Hey, I'm going flying this weekend. Do you want to go to lunch? Hey, I have an RV7. I'm doing aerobatics. Do you want to go? And <laughs> yeah. slowly started building the connections that way from, again, 12 years old to eventually be where I am at 22. Awesome. So tell me, I, I mean, honestly, I, I, my whole life I played sports. I didn't really get involved in aviation till later. So I still to this day don't really understand what Young Eagles is or like, I kind of, I mean, obviously Young Eagles for young pilots to get them in aviation, but kind of explain a little bit about what Young Eagles is, how they operate and kind of the, the main focus that they have. So. Uh, the Young Eagles program is run by EAA, the Experimental Aircraft Association. Mm-hmm. Many of us here know EAA just through Oshkosh. And they launched this program in 1992. Uh, so it's been over you know 25 years of just dedicating airplanes and people to bringing up youth between the ages of 8 to 17 for their first ride uh, in an airplane for free. So there have been over 2 million kids that have flown in the last 25 plus years with, of the program. Damn. And it's, it's, it's incredible. And, and I directly attribute it. In fact, I'm actually looking at the website as of February 25th, there's 2,141,033 young Eagles that have flown. So it's awesome. pretty crazy. I directly attribute young Eagles for being my pathway from the interest of aviation to being in the cockpit. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember my first flight. I have pictures of it. it was September 18th, 2010. And I uh, went to San Carlos with my dad. And there was a gentleman there that had a Blanca Viking 300. Oh, cool. And he's the guy I got paired with. And we went up and it was, it was an overcast day. I mean, it was probably... 15, 1800 feet, typical marine layer. And we went out just over the bay, did a couple circles over the sunken ship in the middle of the bay, came back, and I had the biggest smile on my face. I was so excited and so happy. And we we came back and I said, we're coming back next month. So October, I was back. November, I was back and just kept going. What would your mom say? Go with your dad. (laughs) So (laughs) finally, finally, after a little bit, you know, because I started pushing again, she's like, okay, it sounds like things went well, cool, okay. So I I went again, went again. Then they said, hey, our, our Christmas party's going on. This was, again, 2010. And, um, hey, would you like to come? So I came and met a couple guys, and they said, hey, you're a young kid. You know technology, assuming, which was kind of true. And, uh, hey, we need a webmaster. So right off the bat, I got involved and figured, because I had no idea how to do that, I figured out how to do a website. I ran their website for, it was like four or five years after that. <laughs> you were 12 years old running their website? Yep. <laughs> That's and, crazy. And I was helping coordinate events. I ended up, as I started becoming more connected, bringing in speakers. So I, I really went Jeez. full throttle at this point because it gave me an avenue. I really I had no idea what I wanted to do, except... Aviation seemed cool. This actually gave me an avenue to go pursue what I wanted. And fortunately, the aviation community in the Bay Area is amazing. It's super tight, just like anywhere, but it's it's really welcoming for g- general aviation, even though it's some extremely busy airspace, yeah. and which is a great place to learn, in my opinion. I'm so happy I learned in this area. 
So give me a little bit of info on how someone can get into Young Eagles since we're kind of on this topic anyways. what? So say someone's listening to this, they're 12, 13, however old they need to be to get in. And it's kind of how do they get involved? Do they just show up to the airport, call, email? What's the best way to get involved? So the best way to do it, if you go to EAA's website or just Google Young Eagles EAA, and the first link that comes up is about the Young Eagles program. And there's a link on there that talks about how to become a Young Eagle. And it'll reference you. So it, how it's run is it's the national organization, EAA, and then there's chapters. And at this point, uh, Young Eagles is an international program. But you just go through the website, and it talks about how the program works, what to expect. And then there's a way you can actually look up by location where your nearest, nearest um, EAA chapter is. Perfect. And, cool. you know, and then just as soon as that, you just contact them and they kind of get in touch with you? Exactly. M- most chapters tend to do Young Eagles if they're a chapter that does them about once a month. Okay. And and so that's what I did. And I ended up getting involved actually with three different EAA chapters in the area so I could go fly more and meet more people. That's awesome. So talk about, all right, so you're doing Young Eagles. You've gone a couple of times. Your mom has finally gave in. It's finally been like, fine, I'll yep. let him do it. This is something he wants to do. Um, what kind of, what was the next step? You know, you had to obviously wait until you were of age to get your private pilot license and solo and do all that. But how did you, did you fly with the connections you made up until that age? Did you do some training on the side? What kind of, what was the process of you getting your ratings? So that's exactly what I did. Uh, I kept coming back. Uh, to do Young Eagles. And the majority of people don't have a CFI. And then as I really started picking up more of an interest and in demonstrating to them that I I actually had a clue of, or an, not so much necessarily just a clue, but I was aware of what was going on. I, I had looked up checklists and procedures and everything online. So the the people there started trusting me a little bit more and a little bit more. So finally, a couple of the guys were like, "Hey, you know, do you want to do you want to try and land?" And so my young eagles flight was going across the bay to like Hayward or over the hills to Half Moon Bay to a bigger runway. And now it, you know, I was thirteen, and they That's were awesome. teaching me how to land at this point. <laughs> and so then. A couple of the gentlemen there did have CFIs, so they would try to pair me with them if they could because they realized, hey, this way you can actually log the flight time. Right. And of course, I had to wait till I turned 16 to solo. So I, I ended up building up about 100 hours of just experience, not even logable time, but just experience in a variety of different airplanes. Everything from, again, the Blanc Viking, 152s, 172s, 195s. I mean, uh, Pipers, Moonies, whatever I could. And I was always... Interested. So you started out flying a bunch of random aircraft. I did. <laughs> Usually when people start start their training, they're only flying on a 172 or a Cherokee or maybe an Aero. But they very rarely get to fly. I mean, I've seen Vikings before, but I've never flown one. Seen Moonies, never flown them. So it's just crazy that you were exposed to, to so many aircraft. And it's a thing, and I go through this discussion a lot because I I right now... Am current in well over a dozen aircraft: GA, turboprop, piston, or you know, piston jet, um, anything possible. I mean, everything from your basic Cessnas. Uh, I own a par- I've owned a partnership in a one seventy two, or sorry, a one fifty two for almost seven years, and which is partially how I was able to go through things fairly inexpensively. Yeah. Um, 
two, you know, formerly military operated aircraft, uh, both, you know, some World War II warbirds and, you know, some Cold War air jets. And what I, I really appreciate is the exposure to a wide variety of airplanes early on because you start real every airplane's a little bit different a 172 oh my gosh yes. a 172 <laughs> is different from a 182 and a 182 is different from a 206 in small ways but of course if that's all you're exposed to hey a 206 is a huge jump from a 172 oh yeah but once you get more comfortable and current you you start being able to tie the commonality between the airplanes okay they're still piston airplanes you still fly them basically the same your speeds are just a little bit different so it translates the same way to the turboprop world flying a king air 90 versus a 200 versus a conquest or a saberliner 60 versus a 1968 g2 to a citation 10 there's a lot of differences between them but there's a lot that's very similar right so going back to when i was younger I was getting this perspective, plus on the flight simulator, there's some, I mean, incredible add-ons for both FSX and Prepare3D and X-Plane that are just, they're real-world study level, pull out the manual to fly it. I mean, everything from Boeing products to Airbus to Embraer, corporate GA. So I didn't just have that GA aspect, but I had kind of a, a very small glimpse into what professional aviation was and bigger systems, bigger airplanes, even though, of course, you, you know, you're flying a desk. So by the time I actually got around to training for my private pilot certificate, I actually didn't start flight official flight lessons until about two to three months. It was about two months before I soloed. Uh, okay. It was December of 2012. And I soloed in February on February 18th, 2012. 13, which was my 16th birthday. Nice. And uh, the instructor I flew with was someone I'd flown Young Eagles with and got to know him over a couple, you know, the couple years I'd been doing it. So he offered to give me a great deal instructing. And then I had bought at the time, I had sat down with my parents and said, Hey, some of the guys at the airport said, if we buy a partnership in an airplane, it could actually be cheaper. And of course, the response was my parents laughed and said, ha, no, we're not buying you an airplane. <laughs> Just ima imagine this. At the time, I was actually 14, a 14-year-old 14 kid trying to talk their parents into buying an airplane. I was going to say, most 14-year-olds are like, hey, mom, I want this car when I turn 16. You're like, no, I want an airplane. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, of course, they said, hey, you should consider this. And I'm like, well, that sounds cool, but it's money. Then on the... Board at San Carlos, there was an ad for a Cessna 152, a one-sixth partnership. The price was reasonable, and I went back to my parents, and my dad talks in numbers. So I put together an entire Excel spreadsheet that talked about the cost of entry, even to the extent of the like loss of interest on the money to invest, and turned around and said, okay – and in, in his response was, okay, this start, is starting to make sense, but you can't solo for a year. Again, it, this was November of uh, when I was 14, and so I wasn't even 15 yet, so I wasn't even a year out. And he's saying, well, why does this make sense? We're going to just spend money. And I ran the numbers again and said, I will still save money than if I have to go to a flight school and use a 152 or 172 and rent. And at the end of it, I have an airplane that I can use for $50 an hour wet. Dang. 
And so he looked at it and said, you know what? That actually kind of makes sense. So we went ahead and bought this airplane, which I have a bunch of time in now. I love the airplane. I still use it as a little bit of a commuter to hop around because driving in the Bay Area sucks. And uh, my work drive triples uh, with traffic in the afternoon. <laughs> so, so why not just take your 152? <laughs> I have done that before. And often yeah. often I actually use it to go out to the Central Valley. And we, we'll get into it later. But the uh, Patriots Jet Team is another operation and huge of how I got where I am today. Uh, and I actually use it to get out there because I'd much rather fly for 20 minutes than drive for an hour and a half. Absolutely. And so I now had an airplane. I had an instructor. And I just had to turn 16. So we trained up, trained up, trained up, and I sold it on my 16th birthday. And I was so happy because I could finally go to the airport and fly by myself. Right. But I still had to get driven to the airport. <laughs> so That's hilarious. I, actually, I never thought about that. I didn't have my driver's license for about three more months. So I would get driven to the airport. Actually, I had my permit. So I could drive myself to the airport with my mom or dad. Mm-hmm. I could go fly by myself, go fly over downtown San Francisco, go where you know wherever I wanted in that 25 miles. And then I still had to come back and get my mom to come pick me up. <laughs> <laughs> was your mom willing to go on the flights with you or she's still kind of like, no, I'm never getting in a small plane? So she was my first passenger. So I took my private pilot check right on my 17th birthday. It went mm-hmm. really well. I was super excited. And I called her up and said, hey, mom, I passed. Do you want to go? And it was this sigh of like, oh, I'm so excited for you, honey, but uh, I don't want to necessarily Heck this. no. <laughs> Not only scared of small airplanes, but now get in a small airplane with your 17-year-old son who just right. got his license. I mean, parents have a hard enough time as it is driving with their kids who get a driver's license. <laughs> Years after they get their driver's license. <laughs> exactly. So she, but she said, I trust you. And uh, you've been doing this for a while, so just let's keep it quick. So I had an easy route. It was going to be about 10 to 15 minutes, take off, make a left crosswind off of San Carlos, go out towards the hills, point out a few landmarks that she'll notice, and come right back in. Just check it off. Easy peasy. Exactly. Easy peasy. Check it off. Mom was first passenger. Wonderful. So we start climbing out, and she has a steel grip on my right leg. And of course, being in a 152, we're seated right next to each other, and I'm right. engaging her comfort level on the flight by how tight her grip is on my leg. So for takeoff, I could barely feel my foot. <laughs> and we get up, and I start pointing out stuff, and, and I can tell she's relaxing some. Oh, you know, that's you know Crystal Springs Reservoir. Oh, you can see the city in the distance. Oh, there's Half Moon Bay. And she, oh, yeah, you know, oh, I, I'm... That looks like the bay over there and where we go to lunch. So I started flying over there so I could point it out closer. And so she she was all distracted now. So I just started kind of pointing out objects that would actually take us further and further away till we ended up over the city. And we actually flew around for it was almost two hours. Oh, that's awesome. And she was so happy, had an amazing time, except for the landing. <laughs> and then she was stressed out. And I have some GoPro screenshots of her on the landing. And there's there's some favorite pictures of mine. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. My mom is the same way. She's not a very, uh, she doesn't like flying and big planes, let alone small planes. And I've never had the chance to fly her around. But wow. I don't know if she would say yes if I ever asked her. So it would definitely be interesting. Yeah, it's it's definitely something I appreciate. I've taken my whole family up. 
And in fact, I've actually brought my mom both in the back of the citation before. And I was doing a transplant trip in the King Air about a year ago or so. And I came home one day and was like, hey, mom, I'm going out for a transplant run. Um, single pilot, do you want to go? It was like two in the afternoon. I knew I wasn't going to be back late. Well, no, like, uh, I, I, I don't know. And I literally looked at her and I was like, mom, your 21-year-old son is looking at you asking, can you please go flying with me in an airplane? Yeah. Just think about this for a second. And she paused. She's like, okay. And this was still before she had fully become comfortable. Yeah. And so I was like, look, it's a bigger airplane. It doesn't bounce around as much. You'll be okay. And she had an amazing time because we, it was just some puffy clouds. And we ended up just flying through the clouds IFR and it was just a quick hop up and back. And I, I just remember flying with her and she was so happy because it was just something she'd never experienced before like that. And was, you know, it was both, of course, as a mom, you know, she's proud of what I've accomplished, but also it was just such a new experience. Definitely. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah, with a mom being proud and then just seeing how you wanted this at such a young age and the fact that she was kind of so hesitant around that and then seeing everything kind of come full circle and you flying a pretty cool airplane. Not many people I can say they've flown a King Air and it's just kind of like brings it all full circle. So I bet that was pretty cool for her. I very much appreciated the opportunity. Yeah. What was the, the rest of your training like? So did you struggle with anything? I know that you're kind of like a wonder kid and everything comes easy to you, but was there anything that you struggled with in your training? Did you have bad instructors or kind of have any mishaps or emergencies at all in your training? So, you know, flying to me has come fairly easily. Um, I, I'm comfortable, which again, I attribute to flying a variety of airplanes from an early start. But I'm fairly comfortable just getting in a new airplane. You know, if I'm doing an SIC checkout in a jet to do a trip for someone, um, or it's a new type, it's the actual flying of it's really straightforward. What mm-hmm. always got me in training was actually sitting down and studying because oh, I gosh. I hated school. <laughs> yeah. um, in fact, so I of course as 17 years old, getting my private pilot certificate. I'm a junior in high school at this point. I knew what I wanted to do. So I focused everything I could. In fact, I, I dropped my sixth period class so I could get out early and go to the airport. I was every day going to the airport, going to EAA chapter meetings, going to air shows, and I was finding whatever I could to be around airplanes. And I then, as it progressed into my senior year that fall, I was studying for my instrument rating. I was also working at the flight school, so I would – get out of class and I only had, I was a perfect senior. I had four classes. One was PE and I would get out every day early. Plus I actually would get excused by my mom to go to the airport. She trusted me enough that (laughs) I would go in early, about 10 minutes early, go through all of my classes, determine if I really needed to be there that day or if it was work I could get done at home. And then I'd end up in first period and text my mom and say, Hey, uh, can I get a pass? And crazy. 10 minutes later, the one of the campus attendants would show up. They knew me by first name. And they would just walk right up to me. Hey, Mike, you're excused again. And off I would go. So I'd end up at the airport at 11, 12 o'clock or earlier. And so I would then be working at the flight school and then uh, would take lessons in the evening for my instrument rating. November I of 2014, I got my instrument rating. You know, honestly... My instrument in commercial, I could have done much better. 
because again, yeah. I, I didn't know how to study. I didn't know how to study for myself. I just was like, oh, I can fly the airplane. That's fine. But the oral for my instrument and commercials, I did struggle through just because I, I didn't know the knowledge as well as I should have. Yeah. What did you struggle with? Like systems or just kind of like uh, how everything plays out in an instrument or what was the main struggle? A little bit systems wise, you know, if someone draws it out for me in a clear way, I can understand that. And like reading through a, you know, a, P, a pilot training manual for modern, you know, or jets or corporate airplanes makes sense now because I've seen those systems a lot. And, you know, hydraulics or hydraulics. There's slight variations, but they're usually all pretty similar. Uh, a lot of it was just like the regulation and just basic knowledge stuff, you know, like, okay, your airspace cloud clearance requirements. <laughs> I, oh, I full well went into every single one of my private instrument and commercial check rides, not having that memorized. Jeez. <laughs> like that, <laughs> they ask that all the time. <laughs> exactly. That's how, like, that's how bad I was at studying. I just, and I was doing it in such a weird way. I wasn't going through a, a straight up program. I was kind of piecemealing it because I had an idea of what was going on. So a lot of my instructors didn't know how to handle that. Mm-hmm. And so some of it to them was that they were just kind of assuming I knew some of this stuff yeah, when I, I really didn't. And, and so that was kind of a negative in my training is because I did come into it from a different perspective with some knowledge and then my instructors not sure what that knowledge was instead of actually going back and making sure I did know everything it was like well okay if you know that you probably know these other things too so we'll just keep moving on so to leave gaps in my training that I've had to go back and fix as I progressed in the professional realm of flying Definitely. You know, I mean, I could definitely see how that could happen because I mean, an instructor doesn't know what you don't know. So they can ask the questions. And if you kind of know stuff at a bare minimum level and you can give off the, the, uh, they can, you can make them think that you know more than you actually do, which I'm not saying you actually did that. I don't know if that's exactly what happened, but it's definitely a possibility. And I, when I, I had similar things, I hated studying. I didn't want to study for any of it. I just wanted to go fly. I was good at flying. Studying was a pain and it all just kind of came naturally to me, the flying part. So sitting down and studying was just not something that was fun. But I definitely made sure I memorized all the cloud clearances because I knew that they were going to ask that on every single check ride. So the funny part was I never on any of my check rides actually got asked that. No um, freaking way. So That's crazy. Even my private, I never even, or maybe it was like, you know, what's your, you know, your class D requirement. And yeah. it was like something obvious, you know, it wasn't like, okay, what's your class, you know, golf above 10, you know, and, you know, all these different rules that where it gets complex. So that's kind of why I was like, well, I didn't. I kind of skirted my way through that. I didn't really mm. need to know that. So. Get out of here. I got asked every question possible at airspace. Like, well, if you do this, do that. It's like you're at 3,000 feet below. It's like, shush, shush. <laughs> do you know this? Are you asking me because you don't know? It's like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. It, so I, I ended up, I mean, again, of course, I passed my check rides and they all went well. Um, but I, I will fully admit, especially to friends who are working on their instrument and commercial and struggling, like, oh, how do you get to where you're at? I'm like, believe me. I could have done much better than mm-hmm. like you're, you're studying better than I am. Like you're, you're better yeah. off than I was. Definitely. 
You know, what's funny is I actually created a um, kind of like a, a cheat sheet, a sheet of paper, because in the check ride, you can bring anything you want in with you that you'll you'll always have when you fly type thing. Yeah. So I had a, a it's kind of like the um, the clipboards have all the IFR stuff on it, or they have a VFR clipboard, you know, yep. where you can write stuff down on. But I had a cheat sheet where I kept writing down like not cloud clearances, but kind of what if I lose my avionics and I need to see what the tower lights are. Like I had all those written down and I had some other kind of stuff written down. And I just went into the check ride explaining to him. It's like, hey, I bring this on every single flight because it's really hard for me to remember all this because there's so much stuff going on. He's like, all right, it's fine. You can bring it in the check ride. And lo and behold, as I was creating it, my instructor is like, why are you writing that down? Like they will never ask you what lights to look for when you're doing your check ride or we would never ask the, that question. And no joke, the first question is like, all right, let's get started with an easy one. What happened? happens when you lose your radios and tower gives you a solid green light and i was like well funny you should ask that flip open the sheet and read it off and then i texted my instructor afterwards like i'm gonna kill you it's like you told me not to worry about that and that was the first thing he asked me so that's it was definitely interesting but it's i mean people struggle with different aspects like that might be easy for someone else someone might be listening to be like wow justin's an idiot how do you not know that but that's it never happened you never really like think about that because you don't only that only happens when it happens you know so it's one of those things that it's hard to forget or it's easy to forget and hard to remember exactly and and i i was fortunate i connected with many different people around both my local airport at san carlos and and then hayward see the ea chapter over there as well as further away going to different fly-ins and air shows so i had I had a good group of people I could work off of for training and mm-hmm. experience and knowledge. And that's still, you know, that's of course still with me today. And it's been just amazing working with a lot of these different people now that I have the privilege and fortune to work with, many of which were people that I highly respected when I was younger, just through reputation. I knew who they were. And I, I watched what they would do, whether it's an aerobatic guy or a guy that, you know, a friend of mine that does aerial cinematography work. And I would look at that and say, wow, that's amazing. I want to do that someday. Fast forward a couple years later, and I'm actually doing that sort of work now. Mm-hmm. And it's been – in fact, I was just down in Texas, in uh, Kerrville, Texas, doing some flying down there. And a gentleman came in with a World War II vet who was going flying with us. And I, I said, this guy looks really familiar. And I looked at his shirt, and it had a P-51 buzzing cousin on it. I said, wait, Robert. He looks at me like, yeah. I said, we met a number of years ago at the Plains of Fame air show in Chino. And you're a friend of Kent Holiday's that I had met years ago. And he's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. I I took you to the show from the hotel one day. And we started catching up. And he's like, no way. You went from this kid who, and I I used to do, or I still do some aviation photography, air to air. Uh And that's how I got into the air show realm for a a good portion was just going to shows and then having a camera because I found it was a way I could get into shows for free if they gave me media credentials and also introduce people. And he said, well, wow, you went from this kid taking pictures of these airplanes to actually flying the same airplanes. That's crazy. And like a year and a half, (laughs) not quite that short. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I've, I've, fortunately been able to work through things quite quickly. That's awesome. Because I, I dedicate, 
all my time to aviation. It's yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, that's what you got to do though. You know, like, I mean, we, I've preached on that before. It's like, if you want to get the time, if you want to get to the job that you want and get the seniority number or whatever you're looking to get out of the career, it's get it done as fast as possible. It's like, whenever you got a free moment, go fly. It's like you even managed to find a way to get out of school, which I'm not saying everyone should do. And it may not be the best <laughs> idea, but you managed to find a way to get out of school so you could surround yourself with aviation. So you clearly made it a hundred percent of what you wanted to do and everything you did everything possible to get there so i mean that's what you honestly have to do to make it in this career it's it's tough and you gotta i I had just recorded another podcast and we talked about how he switched jobs and he was 49 and he was trying to become a pilot while he's working full-time but he just kept coming up with excuses about why he shouldn't do it why he didn't want to do it and he was too busy too tired too too with this too that didn't have enough money but once he finally is like all right i'm gonna give myself till two weeks. And if I don't have it by then, cause he's almost done, then I'm, I'm going to give up. And he was able to devote all his time for two weeks and he got it all done. So, I mean, you got to devote yourself hundred percent. Wonderful. And the two things I'll say real quick before we continue is that on school, again, my, my teachers hated me because, well, it, it was a, it was a love hate relationship because they saw what I was doing. They saw I was dedicated. They saw I had a passion, which most kids and teenagers in high school don't necessarily have that. They're going off to college kind of like, oh, maybe I'll declare a major that's probably going to change one or two times while I'm there. Who knows? And I was very focused. I wasn't partying. I wasn't doing any of that. But they also couldn't fully support it because I was gone all the time. And I mean, I had, you know, C's and D's throughout that year. And the, the whole reason behind it was I was taking or my plan was to go take college classes online and so i'm taking an online program through utah valley university for my bachelor's degree and i was just about to ask you did you go to college <laughs> correct and, and so i'm still finishing that up right now right. i've had to take a little bit of a break off and on because of everything i have going on and so i'm a little bit behind where i'd like to be but i'm still well mm-hmm. ahead um of course flying wise i'm well of he- well ahead in a relative sense, college, I'm a little bit behind, but it'll all catch up and work out fine. But I had that plan of, okay, I just need to graduate high school. Let me focus on the flying. And that's exactly what I did. It's not for everyone. Online college is not for everyone. The motivation's different. You're not going there having to face your professor saying, oh, I didn't do my assignment. Like, right. And, and so, and there's times where I've, I've just blatantly forgotten to do something because I had everything else going on and forgot to check assignments. Yeah. With that said, it's going very well. And, and then also, the big transition I found was that when I was younger, looking at a lot of these different people, I found myself, in, whether it was young people or old people, or people my age, actually even more so, it was people my age I was looking at. And I was saying, why the hell does this guy my age get to do this? Like, why? And it it wasn't anger, but it was like, you know, I was envious, I was jealous, I was all of that. Just looking at it, like, oh, come on, I want to do that. Why can't that be me? And then as I got more and more involved, that's where the perspective flipped to, especially anything select in aviation, uh, whether it's corporate aviation, flying vintage airplanes, doing specialty flying, you rarely get there by just walking in. Yeah. I have plenty of friends who've gotten jobs because they just happen to throw an application somewhere and they happen to get called. And that right. works, and I've had that happen too. 
and times were right, right place, right time. Happened to be there, got a call, and hey, here's your opportunity. But to get to that point, you typically have to work your ass off. And no doubt. in that, I found, and I face that a lot, is aviation is very double-sided. They want to support young people and promote through these different programs like Young Eagles and the pilot shortage and all this different stuff. They want to promote young people because we need young people for the industry to survive. But then you get young people who are super successful, and now there's some people out there who look at it in a negative sense. Oh, you know, your parents paid for everything. Oh, you know, right. you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you're, you're young and too immature. Yeah. And it's not until I got to this point recently, it was about two years ago, it actually flipped from people looking at what I was doing in a negative sense because I was flying different airplanes. I was flying all the time. I had a variety of experience, and people questioned that. They said, well, you're, you're super young. You don't know what you're doing. And then I upgraded when I was 20 in the King Air at my company and as a, a captain part 135. And just prior to that, I got and typed in the um, L39 and the Sabre liner. And people started looking at that saying, well, hmm, it, you don't just walk into those opportunities. You don't just – no one just hands it to you on a silver platter and says, oh, here you go. Here's your type rating. Oh, here you are. You're a captain now. You actually have to work for it. And that's Definitely. that's where people – and I noticed a shift in response where people were looking a little bit more appropriately at the situation than previously and saying, ah, this is someone who's dedicated, who saw what they wanted to do and succeeded in not the most conventional way, but it put myself – light years beyond many other people who started at the same point or even earlier. Without a doubt. I mean, I, I, I think you probably experienced it more than I did, but I took a very unconventional path as well. I didn't go CFI, went aerial survey, then I flew freight, and then I got to the corporate job that I have now. But it's definitely one of those things that you, one, you got to put in the time, you got to work hard. It's like flying freight, find the plotus. Like I might have made it seem like it was fun, but that job sucked. <laughs> that was awful. I was getting called at 3 a.m. in the morning. I was flying from my duty days, felt like they're 24 hours, flying crazy so I could get the job that I dreamed of having the job that I wanted to get. And I was fortunate enough to get this job. And I'm one of the youngest people in a fairly big company that has a good career track. So, I mean, I could be here for the rest of my life and I could end up flying Gulf streams or globals, whatever I want all around the world. So, I mean, you got to work hard to put yourself in that situation. And then it's definitely a thing where people are like, uh, this kid, yeah, I mean, it must be nice to have everything handed to you on a silver platter. They kind of overlook the hard work that you put in. And that goes in anything when you're being successful in your life. That goes when I played football. I mean, I had the same thoughts sometimes too. I was like, oh, well, this guy has so much God gifted talent. It's like, man, it must be nice just to be that guy that doesn't have to work hard. But that guy really is working hard to, to make his millions in the NFL now. So, I mean, it kind of goes with everything and it goes with success. You're going to have people that try to to generalize their experiences and make them feel more comfortable with what they have, if that makes sense. Correct. And I, and I will fully say everyone has different opportunities. And I definitely, you know, I didn't come from a background where, you know, I was fighting to make ends meet. And I, you know, was fortunate to be where I am in a community that's very supporting of this and come from a family that is extremely supporting. I directly attribute much of my success at a young age to both my parents, a good portion because before I turned 16, they were driving me everywhere. I mean, there was mm -hmm. weeks I literally had three EAA meetings uh, in a row 
you know, three nights in a row where, you know, Tuesday I go to San Carlos. Well, that drives 30 to 40 minutes in traffic. Then Wednesday, I will go to Half Moon Bay. That drives an hour in traffic over the hill. Then Thursday, I go to Hayward. That drives an hour in traffic, rush hour traffic. And if they all timed up, I mean, fortunately, my parents were accommodating and willing to support what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And then the day I tr- got my driver's license was the day of an EAA meeting in rush hour traffic. And they were like, go. <laughs> we don't have to drive you anymore. You can <laughs> we're do whatever done you with want. You. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> call us when you're home call us when you leave call us when you get there but don't make us drive you anymore (laughs) exactly and and so here here i am a 16 year old kid fresh private pilot fresh driver's license and a stick shift and rush hour traffic in the bay area figuring my way because my parents were i i love them to death and they trusted me just so incredibly and which you know just like flying and anything you don't just earn that you, you have to earn that trust Mm-hmm. And so they knew I wasn't out doing drugs and screwing around and doing stupid stuff. They knew that I was very focused and I wanted to – I saw where I wanted to be and I was trying to put myself there. And I have exceeded by tenfold every single one of my goals and the time frame I wanted. Yeah. I mean, I would say so too. I didn't, <laughs> I mean, just following your career and just following you on Instagram, it's like, dang, that's awesome. Like I thought I was doing pretty good, you know, getting on when I got on at 27, 28 and then this kid's doing crazy things at 23. So, I mean, all power to you, man. And it's definitely something that you can look at on Instagram and be like, man, this kid just, he knew the bright people. He knew what he needed to do, but you hearing you and talking about your story, it's like, no, nah, man, you really put in the work to get to where you're going today. So that's awesome. Well, and what I'll point out too is that you know, Instagram and social media, it's it's amazing, and it's horrible at the same time. Yeah. And any any of us, especially if you have a larger following on Instagram, no matter how grounded and well rounded you are, will fully admit that you can get distracted with the likes and oh, you know, this this is cool content and oh, you know, maybe maybe you know, I'll get some more hits and some more follows off of this. And yeah, when I was starting out and I was mostly doing aviation photography at the time, that it was, oh, here's cool pictures and I was trying to one up everyone. And there was a couple mm-hmm. shoots I did with people that it was group shoots. And I like I, it was I literally out came my, we're in the car back to the hotel. My laptop's out. I had photos uploaded before everyone got back. And, Suckers. <laughs> yeah, and it was like, oh, I, I got the likes, it, it, which I also wasn't noticing at my age, you know, 16, 17 years old, wasn't recognizing how that was portrayed to the people in the group of, oh, you know, this kid's just, he's a show off. He's trying to steal the light, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of, it was, it was a negative response, which I've, of course, grown out of at this point. Um, and it's, it's really good to note the pros and cons. I travel on the road. I run into people left and right. And it's like I was just in Austin yesterday on a Citation 10 trip. And I'm sitting in Austin and I happen to look at Snapchat and the Snap Map. And oh, wait, yeah, Tim lives here. And I shot Tim a message. And he's like, hey, yeah, dude, I'll be over in like 30 minutes. So he came over. I showed him the airplane. Um, his family owns a, a Cessna TTX. And so he showed me their TTX. And, That's awesome. And it was great. And likewise, I've been in Florida. I, I flew in a St. Simon or uh, St. Simon's Island, Georgia. I flew into, and some friends of mine live down in Jacksonville. And I said, "Hey, I'm around for three days." I went down there. The family has a Beaver, Lockheed, uh, Electra, and some other just gorgeous airplanes and an amazing hangar. So I spent my layover 
hanging with some amazing friends. And that's cool. I've done this. That's the way to do it. I've done this all over. I've had random line guys. I was in Scottsdale and a line guy was like, wait, are you Michael? I follow you on Instagram. So it's cool. And, and, you know, to me, it's, I, I don't care about, you know, fame or whatever you want to call it. What I care about is the community and the networking. And to me, too, I don't want to be bored on layovers. I'd much rather be out with friends or around the airport than just sitting in a hotel room doing nothing. Eating a pizza. <laughs> the downside, <laughs> a cardboard pizza, yeah. Exactly. The downside of Instagram and social media is everyone knows everything. And we've seen this recently with some different events that have happened that all of a sudden, you know, someone screws up, whether it's an incident or an accident. Um, someone makes a, a mistake in posting something on social media and it goes viral and you are stuck living with that for days, months, years, or the rest of your career. Yeah. And I've had, I, I encountered a few of those when I was younger of, you know, maybe posting something that maybe wasn't necessarily completely unsafe, but was questionable. And and people came to me and said, Hey, you might not want to post that. And I've seen friends who've had similar situations of posting something that, yeah, it may have been cool. Oh, it got a ton of likes. But the right people looked at it who know what they're doing. Because you look at – and you see this in YouTube channels where everyone goes nuts. Oh, this guy's amazing. He's a great pilot. And then you, you look at who's commenting, and they don't know anything. They're not – they're either basic private pilots or – and not to say they don't know anything. They're just they're newer in the community. They don't have a professional operating background. Their their mm-hmm. perspective's different. And then all of the professional operating background people or people who've been doing this a while look at whatever this video might be and say, that's unsafe. This yeah. guy actually doesn't really know what they're doing. <laughs> and the problem is you have influencers like that. And it 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 can hurt the community and hurt people because they look at this and say, Oh, this guy's doing low passes and all oh, that looks cool. So I'm gonna go out and do low passes. And then you catch a downdraft off a building and contact the ground. And, you know, maybe you're lucky and maybe you're not. And, you know, you're never going, you can only tie the record for the lowest pass. Yep. <laughs> and, and, and I've had this refined in other ways too. I mentioned earlier that I, I work with an air show team. And, and, you know, for those who aren't familiar, the Patriots jet team is a six ship civilian owned demonstration team. We fly L 39s in the West coast. We're based in California near San Francisco and everyone's volunteer. And we perform at shows to inspire youth and have a good time. And I got involved with this group back when I was really young too. went to my first air show in 2010, saw them perform and was like, Whoa, that's cool. I'd love to do that. Fast forward to today, I've flown all six of those airplanes I watched fly in the shows and more that the team has acquired now. But not because I just walked into it, because I worked my, you know, worked my ass off. I've spent more than 10,000 working volunteer hours in the hangar doing everything from clean airplanes to computer work to pull high pressure fuel pumps to everything and work my time so that when I eventually, um, when we, I got my commercial multi-rating, I was invited the next day to fly the, the Sabre liner on a trip. And people said, whoa, you're a fresh, fresh multi-engine um, commercial pilot. How are you in the right seat of a corporate jet already? Well, it was because I'd spent the last year reading through the manual, doing pre-flights, doing all the ground checks, spending time with the pilots, the maintainers, everything. I knew that airplane better than most corporate pilots know an airplane. And I didn't even have a multi-engine certificate. 
So all I needed was the piece of paper that said, you have a multi-engine now. Yeah. And I went out and started flying and kept working at it, kept working at it. So a year later, I got typed in a Sabre liner through an, a wonderful opportunity. Same deal with the L39, right place, right time, and a lot of effort. And the opportunity presented itself to get typed in the L39. The people on this team have mentored me from when I was young and helped steer me in the right path. And the owner, Randy Howell, is a close friend and mentor of mine. He is a huge reason of where I am today because he, he helped me get my first turbine flying job, flying an A-90 King Air, flying jumpers out of Byron Airport. Uh, he helped provide the jet experience and the turbine experience that eventually got me hired at my current company, Flying Corporate. And then everyone else on the airshow team I've worked with who are pilots and the maintainers who come from all different walks of life to craft my craft my career and move me in the right direction. And if I strayed from that and maybe posted something I shouldn't have or did something that I shouldn't have, because we've all done stupid stuff in airplanes. Yeah. Some not on purpose and some on purpose. <laughs> exactly. And there's some yeah. of those where we do something stupid and say, that was stupid. Yeah. I'm never doing that again. And there's some of those that we do something stupid and we're like, oh, that was cool. You know, you get a little bit of rush, you know, adrenaline, you got some cool video. And someone sees it and says, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Well, here's a case in point for that right here is uh, my alma mater, Ohio State. I think it was earlier or late last year, ATC memes posted a video of one pilot flying and another guy in the plane, who I believe is a pilot, and he shotgunned a beer while they're flying over the stadium. I know the video. And, yeah. And Ohio State was not happy about that. They contacted the FAA. They talked with the necessary people. They found out. I'm pretty sure they found out who the kid was. And I think he wanted to go in the military. And I'm not sure that things are really working out for him because of that one video that he thought was, hey, man, this will be hilarious. ATC memes will post it. We're going to be famous for 25 seconds and people talk about us. And then he doesn't understand the kind of impact that that's going to have on the rest of his career. So be smart. Social media is forever. It doesn't matter if you post it for 20 seconds and you delete it immediately. Someone has has a copy of it it you know it's it's always going to be on there exactly there's in fact a youtube channel that's quite popular in the flying reddit page and facebook and all different circles and you know i, I won't identify which one it is but there i am in three different group texts that are related to this guy's youtube channel he posts videos of himself making egregious mistakes and people comment on the videos saying, wow, you know, you, you made it, you know, the weather was down to minimums and you made it through. And to a, someone who's a basic private pilot who doesn't know any better because they don't have the experience, it may look you know, like, wow, that was incredible. From a professional background, we look at that and say, that was unsafe. You're going to kill mm -hmm. yourself if you keep doing yeah. that. And, and that's the case of when people pointed out this person is known for deleting their videos and re-uploading them so it doesn't necessarily show exactly the same thing. Oh, okay. Well, every single time he does that and posts a video now, someone downloads the video because they know exactly. there's probably a mistake in that video that's pretty egregious and unsafe, and they want it saved before he deletes it. And there is a case on the FAA's desk about this this person now Jeez. because they know because he has been reported and people don't realize that the FAA looks at social media. Yeah. Without a doubt. 
it's uh, one of their main points. And I've been told by my company, I've been told by f- previous companies, hey, don't post, like know the regulations, know what you do. Now, every single picture I post uh, within my plane or anything is always on the ground. I don't ever post anything in the air because one thing like, I love doing pilot to pilot. I love doing the podcast. I love the Instagram, but it's not worth my job. It's not worth flying, you know? So I'm not going to post this one sweet sunset picture from 45,000 feet and then lose my job over it. So it's got to be smart about it. Correct. But I mean, going back to that guy, like going down middle, it's like, yeah, that worked, that worked that one time in the middle of nowhere in Kansas with nothing around. But wait till he's like, Hey, I'm going to go to Aspen. I'm going to go below minimums there. It's like, yeah, you're going to hit a mountain. You're going to die. So that that's kind of terrifying and it's it's awful that he that there's people in the videos that think that's exciting because then that, that normalizes that that kind of behavior that makes sense so that's going to make other people when they get their license be like hey well this guy did it so i can do it or i've seen him do it well let me record this and i can be just as popular as him so it's kind of terrifying correct yeah well let's go on a better note let's uh so you were not a cfi right you did not get your cfi i was not in fact i have been working on my cfi i have passed both of my riddens at this point and i'm actually now having nice. to put it on hold because i was recently hired at a new company that is oh snap to be revealed soon <laughs> and uh, you shouldn't have told me i'm gonna blackmail you now I'm gonna, it's gonna be <laughs> ten ten thousand dollars or something i'm gonna tell everyone oh boy um, <laughs> just kidding so yeah i'm i'm headed off to a new company it's a new new realm i love the charter industry and it's been fun and but a new opportunity opened up and it's one of those Perfect. that i said i i just can't resist and Definitely can't not. refuse and it also is going to help with some some of my outside flying Good. And that brings up a uh, kind of a, a question or like a topic I wanted to talk with you really quick about. It's you and I, I feel like are kind of anomalies where you, you, you're 23. You could get in your, you could get a seniority number at American and in 40 years, you could be number one at American. It's like, why are you going down? Why are you going down the corporate route? Why are you kind of going down this route and not necessarily going to regional, sitting your time at a regional, f- waiting for the flow or applying to United American Delta? So I've dealt with this question a lot, especially because my company for hiring has been extremely difficult recently because the jobs, let's let's say the King Air that I fly, a job that was extremely sought after five to ten years ago, mm-hmm. everyone's passing up to go to a regional now. And you know, I I don't have a problem with the regionals at all. I have plenty of friends who are SkyWest and Envoy and Republic and all these different yeah. regional companies. And many of them have used them as pathways to get to a mainline company, whether it's United, Delta, Alaska, Southwest, wherever. With that said, there's more than one way to go and build your hours. And to me, when I looked at things, and my my plan was – I graduated high school with my commercial license. I was flying part-time doing traffic watch flying. I continued, and you know, I was ferrying airplanes too for friends and people I knew, just, you know, hey, you know, help, you know, pay for gas and do different things just to get flying for cheap. I got my, uh, my multi-engine shortly after, started flying jumpers in the King Air, and then got my job at my current company, in the Bay Area flying charter. I was sitting right seat in a CJ 1, 3, and 4, and the King Air that I currently fly. And my thought was, I have 1,200 hours. I'm going to sit here for about six months to nine months until I hit 1,500 hours. And actually, I take that back. I was going to have to sit longer because I was at the time 19. So I was going to have to wait 
a year and a half, a little yeah. bit more than a year and a half. So it was actually not so I could hit 1500. It was so I could turn 21. So my plan was sit there till I turn, you know, 20 in nine months or 10 months and go off to Sky West. That was my track. And I had an interview scheduled. I had everything set. Uh, at this point, I had upgraded in the King Air. So I had 500 hours of turbine PIC in the King Air of charter time. And things were looking good. I went to the NBAA, National Business Aircraft Association, in Vegas about a year mm-hmm. and a half ago. And I was down there um, on display with one of the Patriot Sabre liners for our upset recovery training. We do a uh, inverted exp- uh, upset recovery training in a corporate jet, the only program that does that in the airplane. And we have another airplane called Cinejet where we're doing aerial cinematography work. So we're shooting movies. So we are down there um, promoting our projects. My uh, owner, the company director of operations and my director of charter sales were at the convention separately and said, Hey, we have this new citation 10 and we're looking for an FO and we're considering non-typed pilots and you're our most qualified guy. Would you be interested? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I paused and I actually delayed in responding to him because it was over text. <clears throat> I bet I know why you delayed before you say it. So, you probably delayed because you wish that you were flying the laddie rather than flying the 10. Oh, totally. Uh, for those who are <laughs> listening, Justin and I have our little friendly feud of the latitude versus the 10. <laughs> And I do have to say, Citation 10 Master Race. Hey, man, comfort <laughs> is king, all right? <laughs> no one cares about speed anymore. It's about comfort. I, I fully will say that the 10, I think, was recently shut down because of the creation of in-flight Wi-Fi. There's no reason to get <laughs> yeah. on the ground in you know four hours versus five hours. It's yeah. being comfort. So I, I fully admit that. Um but it's nice flying around the country at nine one. Yeah, um, I don't know what that means. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so they were down there, and I paused and delayed about half a day to respond because I said, you know what, I have an interview with SkyWest coming up that they didn't know about. I am on this track to go to the regionals and do this path, and that's what I want to do. But. The Citation 10 does sound kind of cool, and I, I do love the corporate flying, and it would be a PIC type, and it would be some PIC time a little bit sooner than I get at a regional. And so we kind of we, – we waited a little bit. Or, and I, when I talked with others, the other thing we were talking about was me becoming a Czech Airman in the King Air. And when I was mentioning that, a couple of friends were saying, you know, Czech Airman looks really good on a resume. And that really appeals. And so they said, you know, if they're going to give you Czech Airmen in the King Air and they're going to give you a PIC type in the 10, that might not be a bad idea. Yeah. You're going to get some great experience. You're, you're going to go into both big airports and small airports. So I go into LAX, I go into SFO, I go into Hartsfield. Yeah. But I also go into some random ass little airports in the middle of nowhere. So it's you're speaking. You're speaking my language yeah. now. <laughs> so we go all over the place. I, you know, Canada, Mexico, the Caribbean, um, yeah. Alaska, every everywhere. Um, we just sent the airplane. I wasn't on it, but it just went down to Ecuador. So you know, it's we go all over. Yeah. And so I, I thought about it and said, you know, and you know, it also pays a lot better. And I was like, you know, that's not a bad idea. 
So I got back to my boss. We ended up signing a deal down there. And here I am a year and a half later. I enjoy what I do. I get to see friends all over the place. I get some awesome experience. But with that said, I've also picked up enough experience and time. I have about 3,200 hours now. I have right about 1,000 hours of turbine PIC time. And and I don't even have an ATP yet. I'm still on a commercial um, crazy. because I I turned 23 in a year. So <laughs> I can't even hold a full-fledged ATP yet. Uh, you crack me up. So because, <laughs> I love it. Because of that, um, the ATP thing has been a little bit of a restriction at first. Uh, but I've actually found a company that is doesn't find a problem with me being on a restricted ATP. And I will say that the first question I was asked on the phone was, hey, I see you're a Czech airman in the King Air. Tell me about that. <laughs> so, Look what paid off. Exactly. So while I could have gone to a regional, and, and, and I'll say that this, it is a 121 company, so I actually am leaving the corporate world to a degree. I'm still going to be involved from a Part 91 contract standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. I have some accounts that I really enjoy working with on some airplanes. I love flying. Um, again, I mentioned earlier the old Gulfstream G2, um, one of the few that's still left flying in the world, and it's kept in immaculate condition. So, a couple Saber 65s I fly that I, I love the Saber liner. It's my favorite jet. And there's a Lear 25 I do some aerial cinematography work with. Um, okay. So because of that, I, I, and I love I do enjoy corporate and it's fun. So I don't want to give that up, but it's also an opportunity for me to progress, which may, you know, move me to an airline path down the road. You know, or a right. major down. Definitely. Or might bring you back to the corporate life. You never know what's going to happen. Exactly. And the big thing with aviation is if you really want to be 100% successful. Now, successful is different in everyone's book, but successful to me is being very fluid. Yeah. Because I want I love that. I went down to Las Vegas for MBAA thinking I'm going to a Skywest interview at the end of this week. I turned twenty one in February of twenty eighteen. And I'm going to be a regional airline pilot on the CRJ or the ERJ. And this is going to be cool. And I left that convention with a job going to upgrade class in two weeks <laughs> for the citation. So, funny. so life changes and and aviation can put you anywhere. I've managed to stay in the Bay Area with some great opportunities this this time, and I have a lot of reasons to stay because of everything I have going on. But uh, you know, I'm not ever opposed to moving if I need to for the right reason. Right. For sure. Well, that's awesome, man. That's cool. I mean, we could. I feel like we could continue talking for for four hours. Oh, and I know. We might have to get another another episode <laughs> in to keep talking about more of your story. And I'm sure people will request me to to ask you more questions. But I think that that's good enough for now. I think that we'll kind of wrap up there, and I will go ahead and get into a little bit of a rapid fire section real quick, okay, and cool. just ask you some random questions that I honestly don't even know. Some will probably be similar from the other ones, but we'll probably focus and start off with what is the ugliest airplane you have ever seen? Ooh, ugliest airplane I have ever seen. Um, I know you'll probably say the Piaggio, but (laughs) that's another one of Justin's uh, (laughs) favorites. Um, I thought you were going to say flaws. (laughs) Uh, I like the Piaggio. It's a fast airplane. I know. I know. Um, ooh, that's a really hard question. Um, there's some. If you're thinking wo- about speed, I bet you would hate the shorts. 
Yeah, the shorts, the flying box, um, yeah. and there's some funky Russian airplanes. Just I, I'm not thinking of the exact models, but there's some funky Russian airplanes that look pretty weird. Yeah, I um, know what you mean. <laughs> that's a hard question, though. What? All right, we'll go to this. What's your favorite airplane you've ever flown? The Sabreliner. And what is your favorite airplane overall? Just like maybe you haven't flown it yet, or you like a a triple seven, a seven eighty seven, or a global seventy five hundred, or is it still the Sabreliner? You know, I have always wanted to fly an F eighty six Saber, and okay. since I was young, that's a really random goal. <laughs> yep, <laughs> but I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I love vintage airplanes, uh, both corporate yeah. and warbirds, and that's just that's always been a jet, you know, from the Korean War that I just. Some reason awesome. I thought it was cool, and talking to Bob Hoover and many of my other aviation idols, many of which who I'm friends with now, everyone who's flown the F eighty six says it is their favorite airplane. That's awesome, yeah. and you would agree. Uh, it is my favorite airplane. Perfect. That's awesome, man. Let's see. What is your favorite airline to fly on? Uh, recently, Delta has been treating me really well with some good upgrades. Uh, so shout out to Delta. I do typically fly on Southwest because they go everywhere and they're cheap for the yeah. most part. So from a typical travel standpoint, Southwest, but Delta's not too bad either. What's your favorite airline livery? You know, of the new ones that have come out and some of the recent mergers, Alaska's is the only one for me that right off the bat I looked at and said, I think that looks spectacular. Americans yeah. has grown on me. Southwest has grown on me. Um, don't get me started on United's. Uh, <laughs> but Alaska was the only real one out of all of them that I said, I really like the update. The only United livery that I like is, or their paint scheme is on the 787. What they did with the the yellow line, how it follows the curves, I agree. or how it kind of curves. That one looks really good, but yeah, it's kind of boring. We'll I, see if they ever decide to, maybe they'll listen to me and they'll upgrade it. <laughs> someday. <laughs> yeah, someday. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What is your favorite type of flying? Do you like flying IFR, VFR, or nighttime, daytime? Um, IFR, VFR. I always will take VFR when I can. I fly VFR in the Citation and the Jets when I can, you know, if we're just hopping around the bay or even longer trips. I mean, I'll come back from Reno VFR. It's it's honestly faster and you burn the same mm-hmm. or less gas. Uh, in yeah. the King Air, I fly at VFR. In LA, I fly in busy airspace, I fly at VFR. I'm just comfortable with that. Not everyone is. That's what I'm used to. Um, I prefer day flying. For the most part, there's some uh, sun, you know, sunsets I love, sunrises I love, even though I'm not a morning person. Um, <laughs> but and especially from a like a single engine piston operating standpoint, I'm a daytime pilot. I don't yeah, fly a lot of single doubt. engine piston at night. It just while I'm comfortable with it, you greatly magnify your risk factor, just like flying yeah. hard IFR in a single engine piston. Yeah, or just a single engine in general. Agreed. But yeah. Uh, I mean, I would totally agree with that. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to, the PC-12 is great, but you know, having that one engine is kind of, when you're really heavy and you have that one engine taken off when it's pretty low, it's like, oh, this is not the best idea ever. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I mean, you talk about risk factor, but anything can happen in any plane. It's like, just cause you have another engine doesn't mean you're going to, to be more safe or have, you're going to have a, a better time in an emergency. So, I mean, it is. It's just how you handle the situation. It's, it's an accepted risk for all of us, which real quick yeah. brings me back to everyone. Remember when you take people up to fly, they're not accepting the risk the same way as you are. They may <laughs> understand it, 
but just be careful when you're making flight choices that hey pushing it doesn't isn't always a smart decision because even right. though you know the risks they may not exactly well cool well i think that's actually good for the rapid fire i know it wasn't too many but i think that uh we've talked about a lot and people get a, a really good sense of kind of what you enjoy and what you like and i, I just want to say that it's really cool how much you've done so fast and so young and it's awesome to hear that you have really put in the work for it that you have worked hard for what you're doing you have earned everything that you have gotten and you are going to continue to work hard and get everything that you deserve so more power to you man i think people listening to this and might hopefully a light of fire into their butt and they'll get those guys that are 18 years old or 21 or in college to kind of mean hey if i want to be where he is at that age at the company he's at now i need to step it up so i mean that's awesome man i appreciate you coming on no thank you for having me it's always a pleasure to try and help people out for sure man um let's go ahead and uh just end there and uh i hope you have a great day and i'll i'm sure i'll have you on again soon because i'm sure you have more stories to tell sweet i hope so yeah man well cool thanks all right see you dude See ya. Aviation thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode, episode number 54, featuring Michael Minero. If you have any comments or any feedback for me, you can head to our Instagram page and leave some comments on the post about Michael Minero. You can email me at pilotthepilothq at gmail.com. And as always, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash pilotthepilot. Aviation, I hope you have a great day and happy flying.